Father God, we, um, we thank you for, um, gosh, thank you for all the things that, that you've taught us so far, Lord. What are the um, challenges you want to give us today? You gave us three chapters of this is who you are, this is what we believe. Now you've given us three chapters of now go take it and do. And so, God, we ask you today, every chair in here, every story in here is different. Every one of us needs to walk away with a truth. Um, how do we go live this? How do we do this? How do we not just read it like a storybook? How do we go live? So, God, will you make that clear to us today, each of us in this room? Thank you for our time. Thank you for this place. And above all, we thank you for your son who came and lived and died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love how when I pray and I magically open my eyes, it's like a, a friend has appeared. This is Jessica Wells. Um, she, a lot of you may know her. Oh, look, people are waving at you. It's like you're famous. Um, she is in our evening class. And uh, I have to laugh because we, we are always, um, remember that term? What did we say? Voluntold, that word. She, she voluntold. I voluntold her to do this today. But um, it all started with we accidentally saw the picture of her soap page. Do you have that picture? We saw a picture of her page. And, um, and so it was very, <laughs> yeah, busted. That is, it's visually appealing. I don't know, confusing. Everywhere. It's a lot of different things. But this is what I love about it. Like, I know a lot of you guys, when we've gone through this, this new idea of a blank page staring back at you, this is what the idea was. Like, you take it and go. Um, wh what does he have planned for you? Because I can promise you this, my page does not look like that. Um, and I bet everybody else's looks real different too. But anyway, I want to invite my friend Jessica to share with us a little bit about what she got this week from her soap study. Let me ask you first. Have you ever studied this way before? Is this new to you? Tell me. This is, um, so I got to thinking about this because, you know, I've heard soap stories and I knew this was coming and I thought, this is the first time I've soaped and I love it. I love those blank pages. I think they're so fun. You can write on them crossways and frontways and backwards and the highlighters. I think it's amazing to just have a blank page to see what the Lord has for you. But then I got to thinking <laughs> long ago, I have this little journal here. Here it's from... We've just discovered about, you know, 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. I have the same journal. Yeah, she does. We're apparently. best friends forever. So apparently I soap before soaping was a thing, but I didn't soap. I sp <laughs> because I just did scripture and prayer. And so um, I've got lots of scripture and prayer. And I love now that with the soap method, I, I know how to get into that observation piece and dig into different pieces. So that was fun to look awesome. back and see. That's cool. I love that. Well, which day? You want me to hold your old journal? Sure. Or we can just throw it on the floor. Okay. It's, it's, it's old. We're professionals. Professional floor holding. Um, tell right. us which day you chose to do to share with us today. So I picked day two. Day two was the day I picked. Okay. Day two. Wait, mm -hmm. that was, okay, that was that first portion that starts with finally be strong. Mm -hmm. And so what was your title? So my title um, and I get titles at the end. It takes me a bit to get to them. Sometimes I scratch them out. So my title this week was, for day two, was Alert. This is Legit Battle. <laughs> legit Battle. I like that. Um, <laughs> what scripture stood out to you specifically from that passage? So the scripture that jumped out to me was verse 11. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Awesome. Observations. And seriously, guys, this page, no joke. It's like you saw it on the screen. I'm looking at it live and in person. There's a lot going on, sister. Why don't you tell us what, uh, what observations you found and, and how you're going to read that? I'm curious. Um, so um, observations, the, the two words that really caught my attention, um, particularly in this verse, were whole and schemes. And so um, I do love some definitions, like me and Webster, we're friends with this soaping. <laughs> it's awesome. So I looked up schemes, and um, the definition was plan or program of action, systematic or organized configuration. So I thought, hmm, that's pretty specific on what that is, and it's, it's very planful. So then I did a bunch of cross-references. I won't go through all of them. But basically, I picked out what schemes, kind of observed what those schemes was referenced at, at different in, through different scriptures. So here, here's what I found. So we've got schemes, wiles, strategies, designs, cunning, 
disguises, deception, prowling, seeking, devouring, and deception. Which was a lot. Um, and it, it just, I, I will tell you, this was a, this was a tough one. Um, because I really, I, I had to stop and pray because I just felt very heavy about um, the, the reality of what all of those words coming from that schemes of the devil was. So what um, I kind of observed through all of those is schemes is systematic, thought out, planned, organized. Um, and the, the schemes um, that the devil is executing on, it's against us and me and the world. Um, particularly that one came from Revelation 12.9. So, you, and you might have seen it up there, but I, I just wrote overwhelming on the page because I really was kind of overcome with just an overwhelming sense of, of weight of the reality of what I think I didn't, I didn't realize many times were there. And then, just like a breath of fresh air, um, what the, the Holy Spirit just brought to mind is, but God. And I was like, oh, but God, because he, he, didn't, he didn't leave me there in that overwhelming, because in the Lord, he gave us the whole armor of God. And that's just where those two pieces came together. So I got really excited, and the, the definition of whole has lots of things like intact and complete. Um, an undivided unit, but the favorite piece about whole that really brought this all together for me was the very last definition. You had to scroll all the way down. And it said that whole meant constituting the entirety of a person's nature. And again, it just brought this beautiful vision that it is overwhelming when I am aware and alert of what is going on in these schemes that are against us, quite honestly. But the whole armor of God, it's him. It's him. And he didn't tell us to go it alone. So that was awesome. Awesome. I, I love that. Love that. Oh, you got an applause. Aww. I mean, guys, <laughs> seriously, um, how did, did you have any other application or was that was kind of included in your observation, right? Share with us your prayer. Okay. So and this, this is, is where, where her page go. turns around and around and around. So, and I, and I think application, it's like, get a new journal. That's a very practical application. <laughs> she has actually griped at me. Like, she pulled me aside last night and was like, hey, here's the thing. This next semester, I need two pages for lecture notes. I need to, I'm like, oh, my goodness. All right. Okay, it's going to be a thick book. So, <laughs> so here's, here's um, my prayer. It was this, my prayer this day and today as well. So, Lord, teach me to be watchful, aware, and not deceived by the schemes of the devil, Oh, it makes me so mad that I would be lulled into not realizing how real the battle is. Thank you for intervening this week. This is a real practical application. Literally making me fall asleep early so I wasn't able to see those emails. Literally your hand of protection. Lord, forgive me that at times I don't see the strategy that is at play. And I believe that the lie that, the, that it is people that I'm against. It's not. Um, I am asking that you stir my heart to desire and pure passion um, to be aggressive um, in my scheme to love you as I realize the evil one is scheming. Um, stir a desire to continue diving into scripture, prompt me to pray a lot about the people I love and particularly those I sometimes would rather not love. Oh, and oh, I pray that you show me my selfish motivation when I believe I can do it alone because I can't. It's you, Lord, the whole armor. Thank my friend, Jessica. Thank, Thank you all for letting me be here. Thank you. Don't forget your cool journal. Yes. Guys, so many things, right? We all have such different perspective and so many different things that God's showing us. Um, I love that. Like, you know me. I need to stop talking more and listen more. And so this is my favorite part, to get to be um, hearing what he's showing you. Because he's showing you guys different things than he shows me. And I don't know. It's, it's pretty incredible. So I hope you felt the same way. Um, before I move on, I am pumped about next week. Are y'all pumped about next week? Don't say yes because it's the last week. Yeah, hands are going up in the booth. We're excited, and, and here's what it's is exciting because we get to all get together and eat food, and that's always exciting, right, food? But also, we all get the chance to share, so I get to do more listening. So I want to make sure that you, if you haven't planned on it, please come next week. Um, if you haven't been back in a while, if this is your first day, come next week. Man, there's food. Again, food, food, and also opportunity to share and get to know um, each other. So I would encourage you to be here. All right. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians chapter 6. Um, you know, I mentioned it before when I was praying. It's just overwhelming to me all the time that this letter, Ephesians, is a letter. Remember, it was a letter where Paul sat down, and he probably sat down like this, right? Because he was chained to a Roman guard. That was real heavy on my mind this week, too. But he sat down, and he wrote this whole big giant letter. And the whole big giant letter all works together, but we get the opportunity to break it into pieces and understand maybe what God wants us to see in smaller, bite-sized pieces the first three chapters were all about doctrine. And doctrine is a fancy church word for, for, hey, this is what God did. This is what he did, and this is what we believe. Okay. And then the last three chapters, remember they were divided by the one word. What was the word? More caffeine, guys. You need more caffeine before you come in here. Come on. Therefore. The, this, the word was therefore. It was like, okay, now you know all this stuff. This is what God did. Therefore. This is what we got to do with it in Flower Mound, Texas, right? This is how we live out this stuff. And so we're in the therefore. We're at the end of it, honestly. At the end, in chapter 6, it's, he's getting very specific. And this week, we're going to talk about three um, exhortations that he gives us. He's going to give us three exhortations. Exhortations. I, I had to look that word up because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't, you know, had a lot of syllables. And that word only means this. It means make urgent appeal. And here's what's cool about that word. It doesn't mean just make urgent appeal. It says make urgent appeal by arguments or advice. That's Paul. He's going to give them these three exhortations to go out and live. He's giving us, hear me, us here, Flower Mound, Texas, three things to go out and do with what we know and what we believe. But he's doing it with arguments and advice. He's doing it from a place of truth. Um, the first of the three exhortations is in the very first verse that we're going to talk about today. It's in verse 10 of chapter 6, and it's to be strong in the Lord. I'm going to read it to you, so follow along if you have your Bible open. It starts with this word, finally. Everybody say, everybody, did y'all read that this week and go, yeah, finally. We're finally to the end of this thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen, it's one verse, but it's loaded with truth. He uses that prepositional phrase that he's used a couple of times, in the Lord. You know what that means? Remember, it means in his power. Okay, so, so what he's saying is, hey guys, I'm telling you, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you to be strong in the Lord. I'm telling you to be strong, not because you're super strong and amazing and smart and you've got it all figured out. Not because you got your life all, all perfect. I'm telling you to be strong in the Lord, in his power. So not only does he tell us to be strong in his power, but as we're going to see in this section, he gives us resources, doesn't he? He didn't just kind of leave us. I love the practicalness of our God. Be strong in the Lord. Um, listen, I, I've, been, I've been doing show and tell lately, haven't I? Doing show and tell. Well, I brought a show and tell again today. I wanted to share something with you. The question I asked is, why do we start this section this way? Why does Paul begin this section this way? Why does he say that we need to be strong? Y you know what? I came to this really godly, amazing theological conclusion. You know why? Because we're going to be afraid I think he has to tell us that we have to be strong because he knows we're going to be afraid. He knows that we're going to have enemies that are going to tear us down and try to destroy us, right? He knows that it's not going to be easy and, and it's a battleground. And so, I, you know, when I was thinking through this, I'm like, yeah, man, I relate to that. Do you relate to that? Do you feel like um, it's a battleground? There's a war and, and you're the target. Well, the last couple of years have been, there have been circumstances that have been super challenging in my world and, and in my husband's world. And, and one day we got up and he was talking to me about some things that he was working through and, and trying to figure out how to reconcile it with how can this possibly be part of the plan, you know? And, and one of the things he said to me, and, and, and it kind of became a thing at our house, and you'll see in a minute, I'm a, in, in a second, I'll put a picture up. But he, he said to me, you know what I feel like? I feel like every day when the alarm clock goes off, the minute I open my eyes and look at the clock, the second I do, that I am being hit with darts and swords and bullets and weapons and grenades, and it doesn't stop until I close my eyes again. Anybody ever had those seasons? Are you in that season? If you haven't had those seasons, if you're not in that season, you know what I'm about to say. It's coming. And so we, we would always talk about that. We're like, the minute you open your eyes, you just feel the weapons just shooting out at you. And so can you see what I brought my show and tell? It's really tiny, small. This is why you should sit in the front row. See? <laughs> see what it is? Well, I brought a picture, too. 
Okay, there it is. So there's our cool retro alarm clock we got at CCA. You're welcome for that. And it wasn't in the morning. It was one in the afternoon when I took the picture. Somebody asked me that. Um, but it sits on the alarm clock as a reminder to us. Because as we talk through that, it broke my heart that he feels that way, right? And so what, what I started doing was praying, like, God, how do we deal with this? Because we are at war. And it fe- I feel it's a physical feeling. And, and I, I, he brought all kinds of stuff to me, but I'm going to share it. Psalm 91.5 is the one that I've kind of been clinging to for these years and, and shared with my husband. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. And I get it. I get it because every single day I feel it. Every single day he opens his eyes and we feel it. But this is Ephesians 6, man. This is Ephesians 6 because it gives us this understanding that Paul knows we're going to feel the battlefield. We're going to feel the war. And he tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in Chris and Brent and what you're able to do and what you've done. Be strong in the Lord. And so as we walk through this, I want you to think about this guy. Okay, think about how you feel, where you are, all the little weapons and things that are coming at you. And I want you to remember that it's in his power and with his resources that we can face it. It's a comfort, right? It it should be a comfort. Well, it's not always easy. We're facing a war. Um, Jill Briscoe says this, and I've I've quoted it so many times. I mean, you know, you guys probably have it memorized, but it's, it's worth hearing again. She says this, courage isn't a feeling you wait for. Courage is doing When you don't have courage, courage is doing it scared. There's so many mornings I wake up and look at this guy and I'm scared to death. And Paul knew these people that he's writing to, these people that are dealing with starting this new church and this new new ideology of, of following Jesus Christ, it was scary and it was risky and it was dangerous. But we live in a world that's scary and risky and dangerous now, don't we? Be strong in the Lord. Courage is doing it scared. Well, the second exhortation he gives us comes in the very next verse. It's verse um, 11. And it starts, I'm going to start at the end of that verse because we're going to come back to verse 11a. But I'm going to start it there at the end. And he says this. He says, um, in verse 11, he says, he says, put on the whole armor of God, 11b. This is where it begins. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Guys, he finishes it with this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He very specifically says to us, to them, the readers of the letter, to us reading it now, you stand against the enemy. Stand against the enemy. Here's, here's the deal. When you go to war, all of us, I don't know, some of you may have actually been to war. I haven't actually been to war, but this is what I do know. In my extensive wartime knowledge, I know this. You have to know your enemy, don't you? You have to know who you're fighting. You have to know the schemes of your enemy. You have to know the way, that, the weaponry that they use and how they attack. Know your enemy. That's what Paul's saying here. As much as we want to skip this part, amen, anyone want to skip this part? I don't like this part. I don't like talking about the enemy. But here's the thing, and I'm going to say this. This is a Chris opinion, so don't write this down or repeat it or tweet it or anything. Okay, here it is. We undervalue the importance of knowing our enemy. I think we don't want to talk about it because it's no fun. And we don't want to think that there's actually a tangible force out there that is working against us as believers in Jesus Christ. We don't want that, do we? And so instead, we just kind of don't want to understand this part. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to talk about it. Because Paul talks about it. And he tells us there's things we have to know. He starts with the, with the command saying to stand Remember this, when you think about the stand, he's, he's basically saying you need to firmly hold position. If you think about it in terms of, of wartime kind of idea, it's not necessarily that you're standing in victory because we are at war and the war doesn't end to the end of the book, amen? I mean, we know how it ends, but right now we're in the middle of the battle. But what he's trying to say is you hold position firmly. That's what we're commanded to do. Um, he talks about here, 
how, how when we think about the enemy and his minions, you know, all these different things that we have listed that are super in, inspiring and encouraging, right, um, about the spiritual forces and the authorities and the rulers and the cosmic powers and all these things that are real, he, he's, he's, he's saying that we wrestled with them. Did you, did you recognize that word, wrestled? Why wrestle? Well, be, because it's really close and it's hand-to-hand combat, guys. He doesn't say you're going to be sitting behind protective glass and you're going to push a button and watch a drone drop. No, he's saying you're going to be wrestling with the enemy. You're not a spectator. Well, we need to know our enemy. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on what it says, not what it doesn't say. Okay? We're going to focus on what it says, what God's word says, because this is truth. The first thing we know about the enemy is that the enemy is not people. Did you catch that? The flesh and blood thing? The enemy is not people. The enemy is the one who overpowers, controls, and destroys people. That's who the enemy is. Overpowers, controls, and destroys. The second thing to understand about our enemy is he would not... The the idea of someone being possessed by a demon or possessed by um, Satan or... That was not... It was not exactly um, unfamiliar to these people. See, in Ephesians, they, a lot of these converts probably dabbled in some dark stuff. They probably dabbled in the occult. They probably participated in a lot of weird things. They were all a part of this paganism that they followed before they were converted into being believers in Jesus Christ. Even in Acts, Acts 16, Acts 20, we see very specific incidences. In fact, Paul was actually um, imprisoned because... He, he exorcised a demon from a girl, and all the masters and all the people were real mad about it, so they threw him in prison for it. So this is not unfamiliar territory to him as it is for us, okay? So the Ephesians were probably very familiar. The other things that we know about the enemy, Bible gives very clear information about this, is that um, the enemy is a, is a ruling evil being known as the devil, which means accuser, also known as Satan, which means adversary, he was manifested as a serpent in Eden. Remember that whole thing? Remember the snake thing? Okay. That was like a real thing. That was in Genesis 3. And he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Luke 4. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. There was a hierarchy of demonic power, right? We talked about that um, today in Ephesians. It's, it's, is that, that he, okay, this is how I like to think about it. That, that you have Satan, he, he's this created being that is not God, that is not God. He's a created being, but he's also got little helpers. And that's what we see detailed here in Ephesians 6, is that he is this one created being, but he's got helpers that are everywhere trying to get in the lives. And let me just pause. This is another pause that I, that's not on my paper, which is dangerous. Um, but I want to say this. For me, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm more comfortable with? And I think we all do this, and I'm just going to speak for you. I think we do this. I think I'm more comfortable believing that the enemy is alive and active in the lives of people that don't know Jesus. I think I'm more comfortable believing that. But can I tell you this? He's got so much more to gain to get in messed up in my life. You know, because Chris walks around and has a, has a fish on her car or whatever and says she believes this. Well, you know what? You know what? He can't take away my salvation. Amen? Because that's, that's non-returnable. Once you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, that doesn't change. But what he can do is he can get into my life and mess with me. And that's where I think we have to remember. When Paul's telling them to stand against the enemy, remember, these are believers in Jesus Christ. He's warning them about the enemy who is seeking to attack and still kill and destroy their lives. It's important that we understand who he is. Okay, unpause. I'm done with that part. Okay, more things that we know about the enemy. He opposes the kingdom of God. He seeks to do his will and tries to convince us to do that rather than God's will. Think about this. He tries to um, deceitfully ensnare us and manipulate us, doesn't he? And we'll talk a little bit more about that soon. And lastly, uh, the thing that we do know about him, one thing that we know about him is in, in Revelation 12, 9, we have a party. I mean, because that's when he gets thrown into the lake and he's gone and he's dead. And, he's, and so we know how this ends. We know how the war ends, but that doesn't mean it's not hard when we're battling. Amen? Because he wants to gain as much ground as he possibly can. Um, why don't we know more about Satan? Why don't we know more about his little minions? Why not? Because God didn't tell us anymore. We know what we get from his word because it's truth. And the rest of it, we rest in the fact that God is, 
He's really good at being God, and we're really bad at being God. Let him be the one that knows. I had this really amazing quote. I think I put it up on, I think I, I, think I gave it to you. It, it's, um, no, never mind, I didn't. So just write this down if you want this. John Piper says this. Oh, I love this. Our best protection against demons is less preoccupation with them and more preoccupation with God. Our best defense against demons is less preoccupation with them and more preoccupation with God. What he's saying is, remember, Paul says you must know your enemy to stand firm against him. But, but Piper reminds us, but don't get obsessed with things that are not God. You know, Satan is cunning. He does things like this. He will oppose the gospel. He will distract and depress followers of Jesus. He will blow us off course by false teachers and temptations. It's a thing. And so my question is, is what am I distracted with or preoccupied with that takes my time and energy? Because here's the thing we have to understand about our enemy that we know, our enemy that is real. We have to know this. He only has as much authority as we give him. He only has as much authority as we give him. What are you preoccupied with? What am I preoccupied with? Because I'm telling you guys, I have seasons where I realize I am opening the door to the enemy to come depress me and deceive me and draw me off track. Well, he tells us to be strong in the Lord, then stand against the enemy. He has said, you're going you're to be strong and you're going to stand against this enemy and here's how you're going to do it. The third exhortation is this. He says to put on the whole armor. The whole armor. I hear everybody, there was revolts because I made you read it twice, right? Everybody was throwing their books down. No. I just felt like in that first day of homework, I know it was, I tricked everybody. I had to like put out a, you know, I'm sorry. But that first day of homework, I felt like we needed to read it all as one big thing. And you know why? Because that word whole over and over. Like Jessica said, she looked it up and found that word over and over. He reminds us, it's not like, hey, so like there's this armor and I'm going to like give it to you, but you just put on what you want, like when you want. And like sometimes, no, it's the whole thing. Like a package. The whole armor of God. Why do we put it on? Well, we see four times you're going to see words like stand and withstand and all these things. And this is the great biblical quote. See, there it is, that I love so much. Anytime you're going to use the word wobbly, right? It was important, though, because I was reading that thinking... Okay, I've been in Sunday school since I was a little kid, and I have the coloring pages that I, I don't have them. But, you know, you remember the coloring pages where you draw the armor of God and all that. Okay, okay, but I'm, I'm not quite that kid anymore. I'm a little more grown up and mature. Lord, what is this? Why do I need to hear about this? What is this? And then this quote came to me. John Stott says this, Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil. If we aren't relying on this, this resource that he's given us in his power, we're easy prey for the devil. Scared me. I'm easy prey for the devil a lot. Well, the whole armor of God. You studied it in your homework. Um, I'm going to share a couple of things about each little section before we get to the, the prayer section. So stay with me here. In verse 11, he starts this way. Put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Then I'm going to move down to verse 14 where he continues. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Very specific things that we are to use in protecting ourselves against the evil one, against the devil, against the enemy. Right? Very specific resources that we've been provided. Make no mistake, you are at war. You are at war. And, and when, you, when you think about this, are, are you the wobbly Christian, this easy pray, easy pray for the devil? I'm going to say, if you're not using all that God has given you, then you are. And the scary part to me is, this is, oh, this is the scary part. When I'm easy pray for the enemy, you know where it manifests itself? In the way I speak to my husband. In the way I parent my kids. In the way I love my friends. 
in the way I read things and watch things and see things and do things and present myself, that's how it manifests itself. And so you know what it does? It becomes this contagion, right? Well, the things we know about the whole armor of God in our Paul. So remember, in verse 20, he's reminding us that he is an ambassador in chains. You know what that means? That means he's in chains. Yeah, you're welcome. That was a technical translation. Remember when he wrote the letter, where was he? He was imprisoned. And he was imprisoned and, and he was under house arrest, which I find interesting. So he wasn't necessarily behind bars, but he was chained to a Roman soldier. So I'm thinking, this is just me, I'm thinking that this illustration probably meant a lot to him, was very real, because he had like a dude dressed like that right next to him, right? Well, it would have been a very obvious metaphor to use because it would have um, really hit home to the Ephesians. And it hit home to us, too, because when we start to hear about all these pieces of the armor, it makes sense. Um, remember, too, that he's also strongly influenced by the Old Testament because, remember, his background is he was a Jewish scholar. And so a lot of the Old Testament has, like you read, if you, if you ever flip to that page, the Going Deeper page, that I gave you some Isaiah stuff. And, and did you notice who was the subject of, of, of that part? Who was the one that was wearing the armor in that part? It was God. It was Jesus, right? So it, it's not, we're not putting on something that, that, that Jesus himself hasn't already put on. We get to wear the same outfit. Kind of cool. And so he's strongly influenced by the Old Testament as well. Um, and Paul goes into this idea, this metaphor of the armor of God, and, and we're going to go through it. But there's a couple of specific things I want you to, to make note of before we move into it. So there were six pieces of armor, okay? Five of those pieces were purely defensive. That means they were purely to withstand attacks and to remain standing. Think about it for a minute when you think about the warfare going on in your life. Five pieces of it were to withstand attacks. And, and, it, and then it makes me go, hey, Chris, so why are you so, why are you so quick to ask God? How, how dare you allow attacks? And he's going, sister, I gave you four things to put on to withstand the attacks that will come. Five things that are defensive. One thing is offensive and defensive. Which one is that? The sword. One weapon that we use offensively, and I can't wait to talk about that with you. The first three um, items that we talk about, which are the belt and the breastplate and the shoes, they're items that are worn continually. The verb that he uses there says having put on. That means he's already got them on. That means, okay, so like that means when, when they're just waiting around, you know, for the battle to happen, playing cards, smoking cigars or whatever, they have all this on. It's not like once the battle starts, they're like, hold up, let me put my shoes on. Okay, doesn't happen like that. Those three things are always on. So when you are at battle, those three things you are always wearing. The next three things are kept at the ready when fighting begins. Shield, helmet, sword. He uses the verbs take up and take, meaning they're right there at the ready, but, but he doesn't have a sword in his hand when he's playing poker. Okay? You're welcome for that visual. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. It happens. Well, the thing I think we need to all remember as we go through these, these we have to always remember this. They, they are all forged and furnished by God, every one of them, and that we only have to do one thing. You know what we have to do? He gives us the stuff. He has the power. He has the resources. You know what we do? We put it on. That's it. It's available. I don't put it on as often as I should. Well, the armor of God, the whole armor of God. We're going to go through each piece, and I'm going to move quickly. Um, the first is the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Um, back in the times when um, you would have had these soldiers gearing up for war, you would know this, that underneath is a loose-fitting tunic, okay? And so, like, and then remember, they're doing hand-to-hand -hand combat. I mean, when we get to the sword thing, the sword wasn't necessarily this big, massive sword. It was actually the word for it in the Greek is like this short thing, like a dagger. So the combat was very close. So they got kind of like this dress thing, right? They got to have it cinched up underneath their, their, their armor. And so they have this belt that would cinch it up, and it would keep the danger down from, from the tunic getting caught on things. It's put on first. It's the first thing put on, and it holds everything together. It's also where the sword is actually attached. Put on first. Truth. 
Now, scholars don't know exactly if Paul is meaning here, if he's talking about um, doctrinal truth, meaning, you know, the truth that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God and lived and died. Then he doesn't know if he's talking about the doctrinal truth or if he's just meaning trustworthiness, integrity, um, being a person that, that, that's always founded in truth and people can rely on the fact that you're a truth teller. We don't know, but what we do know is either one, both intertwine, Right? If you're walking around claiming that you know Jesus and you're, you're strapping on the belt of truth, you better be trustworthy and you better have integrity. I think about um, the fact that Satan pushes cultural relativism, doesn't he? He did it then. He does it now. He pushes cultural relativism and, and then he gives us these fashionable lies that he wants us to buy into or, or say or believe or act on. Instead... What we need to do is live a life of honesty and integrity because there are people watching. People wa Some of them are short people that live in your house. People are watching. Um, I, I love this quote. This is one of my favorites. Mark Twain. Mark Twain says this. You ready? It's very scholarly. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> I'm going to say it again, let it sink in. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. I think back to our, our buddy David in the Old Testament, back in the left side of the book, and he had this thing that he did where he committed adultery, and then he committed murder, and then he committed a cover-up, and then all these things, and then he lived this life of sorrow and pain and consequence, didn't he? It was lie after lie after lie. Because here's what I know, and this is what I, I hope all of you who are parents or know children, anybody know children? Raise your hand. Know a child? Got it. You get to say this. Lies are seldom independent. They usually pile up, and it usually becomes a lying thing. And you think about our David. That's what happens is that they seldomly end with just one. And so he's trying to explain to us everything starts with putting on the belt of truth. Everything begins here, truthfulness. The second piece of the whole armor is he, he says it's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, this was like a tough sleeveless thing. It was like made of leather or heavy material. And I found this interesting. It had um, animal horns and hoof pieces sewn onto it. Hey, so that's a thing. Who did that? <laughs> Who was the, I don't know. I get too literal. Anyway, it covered his torso, which means it covered what? His heart and his most vital organs that keep him alive. So this right here is incredibly pivotal to keeping him alive in the battlefield. Righteousness. Big churchy word, right? Well, um, there's, there's really two ways to look at the idea of righteousness that you put on, okay? That you put on. And remember, I want to pause here. He is speaking to people that are believers. He's speaking to people that have accepted Jesus, okay? So they know these things. He's reminding them that they now have to put on these things. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Two kinds of righteousness. One is imputed righteousness. And that word imputed, you know what that means? If you ever hear it, churchy world, if you ever hear that, all this means is this. It's, it's credited to you. You could have never earned it. It's credited to you. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, in another letter that Paul wrote, he reminds them that, that, he, that Jesus became sin and he gave us his righteousness. He credited it to us. And then in the Old Testament, there's this book called Zechariah, and um, there's this, this moment where this one guy has these filthy rags, and God exchanges them for these beautiful, rich garments so that he can approach God. It's, it's, he didn't deserve it. He didn't do, like, have this great checklist, but instead it was credited to him, imputed righteousness. The other thing about righteousness is practical righteousness, and he's saying we need to also put that on. That means that we need to understand that the enemy is going to try to affect the walk that you're walking. The enemy is going to try to infiltrate himself into what you do, say, watch, believe, spend time, all the things. What are you doing to combat that? Are you relying on the fact that you have access to that? It's a distinct characteristic of God, and we have access to that. Well, the third, the third part of the armor of God are the shoes. Who don't love shoes? I love shoes, right? I love the part, that, the fact that he doesn't really specify. Is it boots? Is it sandals? I don't know what it is. But this is what he wants us to know, and this is what I think we need to key in on. The shoes are about readiness, aren't they? 
The shoes are about readiness provided by the gospel of peace. Um, he, he just wants us to understand, hey, you need to be ready to go. Be ready. I love that. The fourth um, is the shield of faith. Shield of faith. This one's tough. You know why this one's tough? Because this one is the one that he reminds us, protects us from the swords and the spears and the arrows and the fiery darts. This is the one that I think about that I need most often when I'm looking at the little guy on my alarm clock. This is the one that um, in the days of, of, of Paul, it's this large like two and a half by four and a half feet. Like, you know, it's exactly what you're thinking. It's a big giant shield and it protects their whole bodies. And if you study it a little bit more about what that specific word means, you'll know that the edges are constructed so the soldiers could actually hold them together and make like a wall of protection. They also can hold it up over their heads to keep the darts from hitting them. And I thought, man... Um, the shield of faith. What does that mean? And, and remember, he's talking to believers. So here's the thing. He's probably not necessarily speaking of Christian doctrine. He's probably not saying the faith that, that you once believed Jesus and now you're a Christian. He's probably talking about the basic trust in God, a living faith, basic trust in God, flaming darts of the evil one, by trusting in God and trusting that he knows what's best, not Chris knows what's best. I can defend myself in this way. I can hold that thing up and, and protect myself from this, from doubt and disappointment and despair and from unfairness and from hopelessness and temptation and tragedy and even triumph because sometimes when things are really, really good, you know what happens? It turns into arrogance and pride, doesn't it? In this room alone, in this room alone. Some of the fiery darts that are fired at us are suicidal thoughts or people that have survived or people that don't know if they're going to. Debilitating illnesses, broken marriages, slow, cruel death. Prodigals who don't return Financial stress, anxiety, exhaustion, depression, uncertainties. Man, we could do this all day long. Identifying the fiery darts is not hard. Amen? Because they come at us in every which way, every single day, every hour of the day. The difference is he's given us an ability to try to defend ourselves from it. He doesn't say, mind you, and if he does, if you have this verse, I would love for you to come share it with me later because I would completely love to like get it on a pillow, cross-stitched, Right? He doesn't say, hey, guys, so I'm going to give you this shield, and it's going to keep all this terrible stuff from happening, does he? He doesn't say that. He says, it's coming. The terrible things are coming. But the difference is, is you have me. It doesn't say it's not coming. Well, the fifth is the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation Remember, they're already saved, so he's not speaking of attaining salvation, but rather he's speaking of the fact that oftentimes, oh, oh, hear me, oftentimes the enemy will sneak into your ear and try to convince you that your salvation is not secure. He's trying to say Satan destroys and attempts to destroy a believer's assurance of salvation with the weapons of doubt and discouragement. I have had people tell me that. People have come up to me and said, yeah, but you don't know the stuff I've done. You don't know the stuff I think or I do or I see or I watch or I fill in the blank. Yeah, but you know who does? God knows. And the other thing is, Jesus, don't minimize him and say he's, he didn't do enough. The enemy attacks our minds and tries to lead us astray. Know this. This is, this is big. If you're worried about your salvation, it's probably secure. It's those who are not concerned about it. If you're worried about your salvation, it's probably secure because you probably have given your life to Jesus. Know this if, this, if you have received salvation through trust in Jesus, it is eternally protected and irreversible. No matter what you did, you do, or you go do. Nothing changes it. Know this. Security is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. Security is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. There are going to come times where we are absolutely not assured because we are trusting a feeling rather than what we know. Right? First Peter 3, 1, 3-5 says this, Blessed be the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't get to undo what Jesus did on the cross. You're welcome. Jesus even says it in John 6, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In John 10, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There are not, no takesy-backsies. The helmet of salvation. It's not here about salvation being taken away. It's about the enemy sneaking in and trying to tell you lies in your ear and you are listening. Put on the helmet and protect yourself from that. Well, the sixth um, part of the armor of God is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, that's the one I told you, is offensive and defensive. Here's the thing. The Greek word there means short sword. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's not like we're standing behind that glass and doing the drone thing. Let me give you a great example. The, 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 the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which the Word of God is this, which this is the Bible. Okay? Word of God. Let me give you a great example of how the sword of the Spirit is used to combat the enemy's assault. If you want, flip over to the left like this much to Matthew, and I'm going to read something from Matthew 4 real fast. Matthew 4. There's this thing that was happening, and Jesus was there. And what was happening was Satan was with him in the wilderness, and Satan was tempting him. So he's never endured anything that we, we have never endured anything that he hasn't endured. He's been tempted. And this is how he defended himself from the enemy. Listen, verse 4 goes like this. The, the enemy had just said, Satan had just said, um, after, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry because remember he's fully man, fully God. And the tempter came to him and said this, if you're the son of God, command the stones to be loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His first defense, the word of God. Satan comes at him again. This time he takes him to the pinnacle of a temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and you're going to be just fine. And he goes on to say, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Second time he uses the word of God as his defense, doesn't he? As his sword. Then the devil does it again, three times. Why did God allow this to happen? Hey guys, I don't know. But this is what I do know, is that he gives us an example of how to defend it. Amen? Maybe that's why. The third time Jesus answers him this way, he says, he says, I'm going to take him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms and said, you can have all of this if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, which I love, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He's combating the enemy in the most real sense. With the word of God. We combat the enemy with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It cuts through defenses. Let me tell you this. One of the coolest things that I was introduced to from a friend years ago was whenever people come at you and say, yeah, you believe the Bible, but what does it say about this? What does it say about this? Or, you know, I was so weirded out because I don't know this thing by memory. Anybody? Does anybody have this thing memorized? It's a lot. But this is what I do know. I know where to find things because I open it up. And so when you talk about the sword, think about this. It cuts through the defenses of what does Chris say. And I can go straight to, yeah, who cares what Chris says? What does the Bible say? So it cuts through those defenses. It gives us a tool to combat the enemy. And lastly, it stabs us to spiritually awaken us. Are you different when you have the word of God open? Are you different? I'm different. We're about to go on a gap. We're about to have a little gap between Bible studies. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't take a break from this. Don't do it. Because here's what's happened. When you open the word of God, it's amazing. I've had these moments where I will be like, Lord, I don't know what to start with. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But I'm going to open it and I'm going to ask you to speak to me. And you know what he does? Ready? He does. He speaks to me in ways that I could never see coming. He will do that for you. It can spiritually awaken us. Isaiah 55.1 says this, His word never returns void. The sword of the Spirit. It's 
a weapon that we get to use offensively when we go into battle. Listen, um, the last section here, he, he, he goes into this section in verses 18 through 20. I'm not going to read it because we are almost out of time. But he talks about praying and staying alert. And it's important as we walk out into this world that we understand that he's reminding us of this. Listen, I've heard it described before um, as, as the seventh um, part of the, I think Priscilla Shire in her study, didn't she say, this is like the seventh piece of the armor. I'm going to say, no, hey, which by the way, I'd like to point out this, you know, that's, who did that study this summer? Anybody do that? Okay. It took her a whole six weeks to do what I'm having to do in 20 minutes. So there, hmm. I'm just saying, give me a little grace because you get what you pay for here. Okay. Um, but verses 18 through 20, I, I want to share with you a different way of thinking of that. He, he's not calling it another piece of armor, but instead he's saying it must pervade all spiritual warfare. It must encompass everything you do. It must overwhelm every part of every bit of this. Prayer is the power, and you can't go into war without power, can you? Well, Paul gives us four things, four alls um, that he wants us to understand about praying. He says this, he tells us, number one, we're to pray at all times, regularly and consistently, all times. You know what that means to Chris? That means no amens, man. I just talk. Have you figured that out yet about, about me? I talk some. But, but that's how I approach prayer, too, is like, Lord, I just want this open dialogue with you, and it doesn't have to look a certain way or sound a certain way, because he and I, we are real. Be real with him all the time. Second thing, with all prayer, and supplication. What this means is he's saying a prayer takes on many forms, okay? One of the best things I can, I can say to you, my prayer life is not the strongest part of my Christian walk. I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I get really consumed with a, with a to-do list, and therefore I then apply my to-do list to my prayer list and say, okay, God, here's my list. And God's probably like, hey, have you forgotten like, that we're more than just an ask, Right? And so I I'm try really hard to start with, with adoration. I try to start really with, with saying this, writing, writing this down. God, you are the God who blank. You are the God who protects me. You are the God who provides for me. You are the God who, who shows me things. You are the God who makes coincidences ridiculous because you are intentional and planned. Tell him who he is. You can ask him for stuff. But don't make that all of what you pray. Thank him. Confess to him. Thirdly, he says, we are to pray with all perseverance. That means don't quit. Stay alert. Stay awake. Jesus said that to his apostles. And the fourth thing is he wants us to remember that we are to pray for all the saints. This whole book has been about unity, hasn't it? It's been about unity of believers. And, and, and I think oftentimes I'm really good at praying for Chris and Chris's immediate little group. But I forget that we are in this together. We are one body. It's our Father who art in heaven, not my Father who art in heaven. Amen? Pray at all times. Pray in all forms. Pray with perseverance. And pray for all the saints. Listen, I'm going to leave you with this. Are you a wobbly Christian who is easy prey for the devil? Or are you walking around with the armor that you already have access to? Every one of us has one of these little guys on our alarm clock every day, and it looks different. Don't forget that you are equipped with the resources to battle. I'm going to pray. And as you walk out the door, go out these doors because there's, I have a little special surprise for everybody. Everybody gets to take home a little army man to put on your whatever. But I just want you to use this as a reminder, man, that you are in a battle, but you are not unequipped. Pray with me real, real fast. Jesus, we love you. Um, thank you that, that you came, and not only did you, did you live this perfect life, but you lived this life that, that gives us something to look forward to. You lived this life that shows us how to try to live. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we don't put on the armor. You've given it to us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.